This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To use an old trope, they say your best players have to be your best players, and that could not be more applicable this season uh, for the team that we're breaking down today on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. It's time to dive into one historically great season and one very, very encouraging season for those who want to see that historical brilliance on the ice in big moments. Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic joins me to discuss Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Daniel, what's up? I'm just hanging in there like we all are these days, but it's really great to, to join you, Justin, and let's talk some Oilers. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. Uh, looking to have some Oilers discussion all season, but I feel like uh, now's definitely the time because we've learned a lot about this team, I think, of late, uh, and we know probably where they're going to finish. Second in the North Division seems all but set in concrete at this point. Uh, in a normal season, though, they'd be on pace for 106 points, which is pretty close to elite, if not elite. So between a smashing success and, I guess, an acceptable outcome in Oilers Nation, where does this regular season rank for you? Well, especially the way the team has uh, played since they got to the Stanley Cup final in 2006. This is a tremendous season for them, you know, save for their last appearance in 2017, um, which, you know, is a you know, relatively comparable uh, result. I mean, it has been pretty lean around here uh, in terms of, uh, the on-ice success of the team, not notwithstanding some of the great individual uh, efforts from the guys we're going to get into shortly and the, the guys everyone knows about. But, you know, and, and it's funny, this team did not start very well. Like they were three and six out of the gate, um, you know, for the for the Toronto fans of this uh, podcast, uh, that three game set there at the end of uh, February, I believe it was, uh, was disastrous for the Oilers getting outscored, I think it was 13 to one. Uh, and that was really the I would say probably the worst three game stretch I, I've ever seen out of, out of Connor McDavid and, and maybe Leon Dreisaitl as well. I think uh, McDavid was held pointless. Dreisaitl had one point in the, in the three games. So they've really turned it around from that three and six start. And especially since that, uh, that disastrous uh, series against Toronto. And like you said, they're home and cooled now in the second spot. It seems pretty unlikely that they can catch Toronto and certainly none of the teams behind them. Uh, we'll catch up to, to them. So uh, home ice for what it's worth is, is well with, you know, the, they've got that now. And uh, this is setting up to potentially a decent, you know, postseason. obviously with the divisional play, they would have to get through Toronto, but uh, potential to win around and, and maybe even give Toronto a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a battle there uh, exists for the Oilers. Certainly. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, there's no secret what's driving this, this success. I mean, all of Edmonton's best players or most important players seem to be at the very height of their powers this season. Uh, and that, that's not limited to Connor McDavid for sure. Uh, but it does include the best player of the world, maybe the best player of this generation who's been just, uh, you know, beyond probably what everyone expected, certainly beyond what Vegas expected. He's blown past their points total that they had him pegged for. Uh, he's going to win a heart trophy, another heart trophy, maybe unanimously. Uh, what would be the best way to describe Connor McDavid's season in your eyes? I mean, it's hard to put the right word to it, to be quite honest. I mean, I, I legitimately thought he could get 100 points this year just because of uh, where he is in his career. Uh, you know, he's 24. He turned 24 in, um, in uh, January. Uh, so he's right at the kind of the peak uh, state of his career. Um, you know, he is, of course, health is, is always a concern with any player, but if he could stay healthy um, with the kind of the setup that they had uh, going on, I think they're, you know, the, the North division, you know, there are some kind of weaker teams, uh, obviously Ottawa and he's feasted on them. 
Um, but he, he has feasted on some other teams like Winnipeg with the reigning, you know, Vesna trophy winner. He's, you know, 22 points in nine games against Winnipeg. I mean, that, that's obscene. Um, but you know, he's, he's the type of guy who, like I said, he's in the prime of his career. Uh, he's plays a lot with Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, you know, a lot is, uh, it's not really a, a definable term, but I would say it's between, you know, a third and half of his even strength minutes are with Dreisaitl. So he is driving his own line and playing with the reigning hard trophy winner, which uh, Edmonton has the luxury of having two guys like that, uh, right. you know, that he can play at, at five on five. And they're not even talking about a power play that uh, last year was in the top five ever, uh, alt- you know, in terms of when the league started uh, keeping track of that stat in the seventies uh, and has, has only fallen off very slightly uh, this season with uh, Tyson Berry coming in to replace um, uh, Oscar Klepp on uh, basically on the blue line. Um, so, I mean, McDavid's season is unreal. He's shooting the puck more. Uh, he's driving play even more than he had in the past, uh, which is saying something for a player of his caliber. Uh, and he's rounded out his game too. I think uh, even defensively, he's he's stronger than he ever has been in the past, which I think is probably helping the other end of the, the ice as well. So um, you're looking at a player who, with all due respect to some of his peers in the league, and, and uh, you know Austin Matthews in the goal scoring year that he's had really stands out, but. Uh, you know, McDavid is having the ninth greatest season offensively, you know, prorated and adjusted for error of all time right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at the names on that list. Yeah, there are a couple outliers of guys that played 100 years ago or close to like Howie Morenz, and it's a completely different game. But the, the guys on the list are, you know, Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. And, and to be in that class, you know, it, there's really nothing else uh, more to say than that. Is there something he's added to his arsenal this year? I mean, it, for you know, I, I don't, I'm not watching every game, but I'm, I'm watching enough because, you know, Connor McDavid's on Sportsnet a lot and, and Connor McDavid's Connor McDavid. And if you're a hockey fan, that's what you're going grad, to grad, gravitate towards, excuse me. But um, it seems like this is, as you mentioned, just sort of that normal trajectory where he's becoming, he's coming into his prime years, 24, 25, and everything that he did so well, he's doing even better now. But is there something that maybe he's added a little bit of a, an added dynamic, maybe something he worked on clearly with all the time off that just sort of stands out as being different this year than it was last year or years prior. Yeah. I mean, he's really a, a driven player. So I think he, along with a few of the core members of that team really took the, uh, the, the playoff or play in loss uh, to Chicago to heart. I mean, that was a, a going in. I mean, Chicago should not have even been in the playoffs under normal circumstances and the Oilers were a point or, or whatnot away from, from being in that top four team where they wouldn't even had to have played in that series. Uh, so that was a clear upset. And um, I mean, he was tremendous in that series. He had nine points in, in four games. So from an offensive offensive perspective, it's like, what, what more do you want from him? But there was a lot of criticism uh, around, um, you know, he matched up a lot against Jonathan Taves and Jonathan Taves kind of stood out some of the, maybe the bigger moments of the series. And, of course, people kind of poke toes holes in his defensive game, which I maybe touched on a little bit earlier. So I think he's really rounded out that uh, side of his game. And as I said, I, th- I think he's shooting a bit more. I mean, he's he's uh, top five in goals. I, I think he might be second. I'd have to double check on that. I, oh, yeah. You know, he's, he, yeah. So um, that's you know he's always been a guy that can that could do that and and been in like the the conversation for um you know top goal scorer of the league but not anywhere to this uh you know degree of course he, he's very unlikely to catch austin matthews at this point but for him to be you know second or, or even top five it's not a place that he's he's been uh accustomed to before and i mean just being able to have leon dry on his line and playing off of, of a guy like that like they just have so much chemistry um and it really allows dave Tippett to uh the head coach to uh adjust his lineup like he in the last month or so they've used so many different combinations uh in the top six and uh, that you know we'll see if that's a good thing because there's maybe some chemistry issues that they need to kind of uh, work out over the final five games and into the playoffs here but there's so many different options and, and mcdavid you know what's so great about him is his ability to drive his own line i mean that's something he's always done in the past but i think you're just seeing it uh so much more uh, now, I mean, he, he played a lot of the year with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jesse Pugliarvi, two very good players. But Nugent Hopkins up, up until recently had had one even strength assist, a uh, primary assist. Uh, so he was having a pretty down year and, and still is uh, five on five. And Jesse Pugliarvi is a guy who, um, although it's, it's been a bit of a revelation coming back from from Finland, um, you know, he's still 
relatively new in the league. He's had a year off and he's, he's producing at less than a point, half a point per game clip. So for McDavid to be able to have the, the numbers playing with two guys that are, um, you know, good players, but not anywhere near quite to his level, I think really speaks to the kind of player he is. There's, there's, there's just so much that he can do. Um, and it, it's just, as you kind of alluded to earlier, a bit of that natural growth. I think we have a few more years here of McDavid continuing to rise before uh, inevitably there'll be a little bit of a drop-off in the late 20s and into his 30s. Uh, lots of evidence to suggest that he's a better defensive player, and you've alluded that uh, already. The underlying data suggests that he's been a, a, a far superior defensive player than he has been in the past. Uh, and obviously you just said it, that it's something you've noticed as well. But is there something he's doing that makes him a better def- defensive player? Is it attention to detail? Is it effort? Is there something that points toward that improvement into his game that you've seen this year? Yeah, it's there's a you know a few things. Um, you know, his uh, ability to back check a bit more uh, is one thing, and he's really tracking guys kind of in the in the neutral zone a bit more. Um, so that's kind of helping his defense. But he, he's creating better outlets for his his defense uh, in the um, in the defensive zone, uh, and I think he's cheating is the wrong word because you want a guy like McDavid to to take advantage of op- offensive opportunities because of, of his talent but he's kind of hanging there uh, in the defensive zone a little bit more and he's also I think picking his spots a little bit more kind of uh, adjusting uh, going and quote-unquote cheating for offense uh, for the right time in the game so if the Oilers are behind you know if they uh, maybe if, if there's a uh, fourth line or a tired line out there that he could maybe feast on or something. Um, he's really kind of picking his spots, I think, a little bit more and staying in battles in, in the defensive zone. So there are a few things like that. People talked about his face-off uh, percentage, which which still isn't amazing. It's still below 50%, but it's getting better. Uh, and that's something I know he's worked on as well. So, uh, you know, people have different opinions on how uh, valuable face-off uh, winning percentage is uh, these days. But uh, I know coaches really value that, and, and that's something he's, he's put in time uh, to, to kind of uh, get better at. Um, when he's playing with drive saddle, he doesn't take many face-offs, but when he's driving his own line and, that's, uh, and playing away from drive saddle, uh, he does take quite a few more. So uh, there's a, it's a full package thing. It's hard to put your finger on one thing, but there are a few aspects, I think, there that, um, that really have helped him and the Oilers improve in that side of, of the ice because they're mid-pack and in goals against, which is is you know you want to be better at. But uh, they're they're trending in the right direction, especially with the you know the play that Mike Smith has had this year in net. I'm not sure we've seen the best defensive game from Connor McDavid in the last couple. Yeah. I think that's partly because it seems like it's a bit of a glorified shinny out there, especially <laughs> against the Vancouver Canucks, who don't seem like uh, they're a full-fledged NHL team at the moment, given their circumstances. But also because I think Connor McDavid knows that 100 points is within reach. Um, if he's going to be asked about it, he's going to deny that it may, means anything to him. But by the way he's playing right now, it kind of seems like the pursuit of 100 points means a little bit of something to him. So uh, would you agree with that idea? No, it doesn't matter to him. He said that. <laughs> no, if you if you watch him, you can tell. I mean, you you you're, you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Justin. And and. Uh, it reminds me, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but in his second year when he got 100 points, I think there was a lot of discourse. Um, I think it was the only 100-point score, yeah, because he won the he won the Art Ross that year. But uh, he came right down to the wire, and he just, when he got that 100th point, you could see how happy he was, right? So he's doing the hockey thing, I think, right now. Um, but I think it was very telling last night that uh, Leon Dreisaitl, who's, who's generally pretty buttoned up like McDavid as well, but he said how important it is to the team to get him 100 mm-hmm. points and how valuable uh, Connor is, uh, Connor McDavid is to the Oilers and what doing that um, would mean t- to them and how important it is to them that he gets there. So, yeah, I, I, and you could see uh, um, that it wasn't last night, Tuesday, but the first game of the, of the back-to-back there in Vancouver Monday, um, you know, Josh, the Canucks have the, the goalie pull, Josh, Josh Archibald has the puck, drops it to drive saddle. McDavid's already at the far blue line just waiting for the pass drive saddle slings it over to him. So uh, there was a couple extra touches there and, and got uh, McDavid an extra point. And, and drive saddle alluded that to that too. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll we're gonna try to get him a few extra touches as long as it's not to the detriment of the team. So um, yeah, I think, I think it matters to, to the, it definitely matters to the Oilers. So they've said as much uh, McDavid won't say it, but I think deep down it, it does mean something to hit to him. 
And with five games to go, and he's seven points back, uh, and and they still have three games against the Canucks, I, I think it's it's an inevitability that he that he gets there. Yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. I mean, I've I've experienced the same frustration in recent seasons covering the Maple Leafs, where especially this year, I mean, Austin Matthews scores these incredible goals on his route to 40 right now uh, and is so happy in the moment. Clearly he wants to hit that mark, but if you ask about him in the post game, it is like, uh, you know, it's like he just stepped on his cat or something. Like he is absolutely disinterested and even scowling at you for uh, wanting you to break down uh, what have been some pretty amazing goals that he's scored. Uh, it's good that you've mentioned Leon Dreisaitl because it is easy to gloss over Leon Dreisaitl's season a little bit partly because it isn't the Hart Trophy season of last year, partly because he's over, been overshadowed a little bit by what McDavid has been doing, but it has been brilliant in his own right from Leon. Uh, has he improved in the same ways that McDavid has this year uh, from a defensive standpoint? And, and what growth areas has he identified and improved on uh, this year? Yeah, he's probably the least talked about reigning Hart Trophy <laughs> winner yeah. that uh, we've seen. And I mean, it's just certainly there have been some guys like, you know, Taylor Hall, maybe not, having the same uh, gravitas in his, his next season or whatever. But yeah, I asked him about that last night and he was kind of like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't care. Cause I, I knew what his answer would probably going to be, but uh, I just wanted to see what he would say really to that. But uh, yeah, I mean, reigning heart trophy, Art Ross, uh, Lindsay, any second in the league and scoring again by a comfortable margin. And of course we can talk about, you know, the, the, how, uh, helpful it is to play with McDavid as much as he does. And again, the, you know, third to half the minutes on on uh, five on five, and and certainly you know they, they eat up a lot of power play time together. Um, but yeah, he, as you to get to your question there, Justin, he he said uh, or the, he has approved uh, the, you know five on five uh, defensively. He's uh, you know it's it's tough with him because he didn't get a lot of of respect for his defensive play last year, and I think vast majority of that was, was warranted. And if you looked at the underlying numbers there, but he does do some, some little things uh, from a defensive minded aspect that have, uh, are very helpful to this team. Uh, they do struggle in the face-off circle. You know, I, as I mentioned, Connor McDavid is getting better, but still below 50%. And some of their depth guys, um, that's a problem area. So he's on the, uh, you know, the penalty kill he'll he, last year, he would be a, you know, a five on three, uh, guy, the, the lone forward, because they valued how much, you know, he, he could win faceoffs. And he's even, uh, he's penalty killing a little bit this season, but it's mostly to try to win a defensive uh, zone faceoff and get off the ice. So he's a, what they call Fogo guy, like faceoff, get off, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from, from that perspective. So he does some of those little things, but again, he's, he's doing a lot of the, the, the same, you know, same types of things that I mentioned with McDavid in the defensive zone. Um, it's a little bit, different with him in the sense uh you know playing with 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 mcdavid so much that uh, some of those defensive um uh improvements i think are uh, are a little bit uh, undershadowed you know because only one guy goes deep in the defensive zone and they're they're, they're kind of mixing that up uh mcdavid and dry when they're playing together i mean sometimes uh dry will be the low guy you know playing quote-unquote center even though he's listed as a winger and, and vice versa um with mcdavid so uh, you don't see it maybe quite as much. I think like David gets a lot more of the attention there, but, but dry settle is doing a lot of those, those similar things that, that I mentioned, um, you know, as part of his game too. Uh, it really is simpatico between those two. I don't think there is a partnership in the NHL that is so obviously um, connected in, in terms of how they think the game and how they know each other so incredibly well. Their command of the offensive zone when they are together is simply unmatched. I mean, it seems like they're only looking for each other and everyone else is sort of just, even their own teammates are almost pawns in this game where they're just moving chess pieces around themselves, but they're only looking for each other. It seems a lot of the time. Uh, And that's, you know, that shared wavelength that they seem to be on. I mean, it seems to be the reason why Dave Tippett just has to play them together. I mean, the intention was to split them up at the start of the season, but the way they play when they're on the ice together, it just seems like they're doing themselves a disservice if Dreisaitl and McDavid aren't playing together. Is that sort of the conclusion that's been drawn this year? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll just touch on something you mentioned earlier. First, it's just the, uh, the the way that they work off each other. And you saw that with Jesse Pugliarvi's goal uh, on Monday. Just They whipped it back and forth, and Pugliarvi's just standing there, and all of a sudden he has an open net. So you kind of mm-hmm. – some guys get lost in coverage, and they and they and there's some guys on the, the, the team. I think Ethan Bear had a similar goal recently where, you know, they uh, – 
it kind of works to, to some other players' benefits. But um, in terms of playing them together, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting kind of scenario with this team where, yeah, they, they obviously are, are so great uh, and have so much chemistry, but if you do that, then you're really weak in the second line. Um, especially as I mentioned, the, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think has come along in the last five games or so. Um, and that's, that there's been a line uh, with uh, Dominic Cahoon and, and Kyler Yamamoto that, that has played well, though Kyler Yamamoto is in a, in a terrible goal scoring uh, slump right now. So, um, you know, I, I think, I don't think it'll be a permanent thing where, where, um, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl play together either down the stretch or into the playoffs. I think it'll, a lot will depend on matchups. Uh, they really like the, uh, ability that changing things around kind of wreaks havoc on other teams and their, their matchup situations. Um, and if you do split them apart, there are a lot of scenarios where, um, you will still see them together, which is, which is obviously, uh, very helpful. I think the, the key one is right after the Oilers kill off a penalty. And then you, what happens is, you know, the team's third or fourth lines will go on because none of those guys are on the power plays and they, they need a, a line to go out and, and be fresh. Uh, and mm-hmm. Tibbet will, will put those two together either with, um, a RV or Yamamoto who Yamamoto sometimes kills penalties, rarely does. And so those three will go on and try to, you know, pick apart, a uh, you know, get a, get a good matchup there. Uh, another one is obviously late in games and late in periods. Uh, you know, Tip, Dave Tippett does a pretty good job of trying to catch teams, um, you know, when they're maybe on their heels or something and, and throw those, like, throw those guys together. So he's not really stuck in his, in his ways and his lines in, the, in that situation. So it, I think it'll kind of depend on, on matchups. And, and I think, you know, this team has not had set lines for very much of the year, um, but it will, you know, you need depth in the playoffs, right? And and putting those those two guys together really kind of wreaks havoc on their depth. Um, so I, I I would hazard to say that it would it's probably fairly unlikely that they'll get uh, the line share of the minutes together uh, down the stretch and into into the playoffs here. It's interesting. Uh, you offered some important context there. I think on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, you, you mentioned the last five games where he's played really well, and he has played really well. I've probably seen most of those five games just because I'm watching McDavid a little closer with this hundred point pursuit and uh, obviously getting ready for this podcast. I've seen a really dominant force in Ryan Nugent Hopkins and a guy that seems like is the reason why they can play Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl together, because despite the deficiencies on that line, Yamamoto is a legitimate top top six forward. Uh, Dominic Cahoon, maybe not quite on at least a championship level team, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins, if, if they haven't scored a ton of goals, he's at least driven play on that line in the last five games, certainly. So, I mean, if he could keep that line productive or at least breaking even or at least playing in the offensive zone more more often than not, uh, he seems like the key to keeping Drysaddle and McDavid together to keep them doing what they've been doing to opponents. That's a good point. And uh, this, again, is, is is a great stretch from Nugent Hopkins that we, have, we haven't seen. And that's been a real talking point around here because he is a, a free agent and he, he's the longest uh, serving member of this team and he might not be here in a few months. Um, so he's a really, when he's playing the type of game that he's playing, you know, he has played in the last few games, he's a, such a valuable part of this team because it does then allow you, as you alluded to, it, it does allow Dave Tibbet a little bit more comfort in, in, in keeping um, McDavid and Dreisaitl together. Um, and I once, once talked to Nugent Hopkins back when we were allowed to go into dressing rooms and actually have a face-to-face conversation with people, but I asked him about um, his ability to play the wing. Uh, and he, he didn't really seem to care about wing or center. And he said uh, what his uh, thought process was, was kind of like those, you know, San Jose Sharks teams from a few years ago where they were you know, Pavelski and Couture and Marlowe, maybe to a lesser extent, Joe Thornton. And they all kind of played different positions. They played wing, they played center. They, um, I think we we're, were talking Todd McClellan or maybe it was Pete DeBoer at the time, whoever the coach was, could kind of move them around and do different things with that lineup. And he, he's the type of guy that, that can play, you know, swing man role. Um, unfortunately, what we've seen a lot up until this recent stretch from him is his inability to drive play and, um, really that it just seemed like he was fit better to be a winger 
And uh, that has seemingly changed in the last few ga- uh, games, which is a great uh, sign for, for the Oilers because, you know, the, the opportunity to, to play him uh, at a number two center hole uh, with, with a, a lot more degree of comfort really changes the dynamic of that team. Now, you're right. I mean, Dominic Cahoon, his numbers are, are very um, poor, quite frankly, given that he's played so much of the year with, with Leon Dreisaitl. So mm-hmm. uh, he's looked better uh, on that line the last little bit, and Dave Tippett is pretty happy with that line. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto, as I mentioned, you know, he's, I think it's something like one goal in the last 21 or 22 games. So that's, that's a huge uh, issue, quite frankly. Uh, and, I mean, if that line can get going, that's great. But one thing to kind of be cognizant of heading into the playoffs is that's a pretty small line. Uh, And if, you know, things get, you know, either a bit more physical or the tendency, which we've seen so often in in the playoffs for a lot more um, uh, leeway in terms of, you know, fouls and not referees, not calling penalties, that line might have a bit of trouble. So, you know, I think that is an option that Dave Tippett can go to, but it'll be, We'll see. I mean, there's the, the, uh, the sample size is pretty small, um, but there are some encouraging signs for sure. As you, you kind of touched on there. How disappointing would it be uh, in the fan base? If the Oilers and Nugent Hopkins weren't able to come to terms on a contract this summer, I, I, I tend to think that the situation almost benefits the Oilers here a little bit. The fact that he's only got 14 goals and 33 points, but you know, is clearly a valuable member of a top six on pretty much any team. Uh, the fact that his numbers aren't out of control playing with a lot of the year with McDavid, a lot of the year with Dreisaitl, uh, and not having these, you know, these numbers that have just gotten out of control like we've seen between those two players. I feel like that would almost help the Oilers in this regard if they are still interested in, uh, you know, retaining Nugent Hopkins at, at a price that he might uh, require. But it seems to me that this team is in need of one more top six forward rather than giving one up and maybe giving up a legitimate one if Ryan Nugent Hopkins did walk in free agency. That's just it. Like, ideally, you would bring back Nugent Hopkins and get another player. So if you lose Nugent Hopkins, you got to get two guys. Uh, and there are some guys coming. I mean, you know, we've seen um, uh, Yamamoto and Puliarvi make some strides over the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Yamamoto's had some uh, some lack of production uh, issues uh, recently. But those guys are already in your top six. So the only kind of guy on the horizon potentially is a a Dylan Holloway who had a very good uh, season in college, but asking a, you know, a guy who will still be 19 in the fall to come in and immediately play in your top six is, is a, is a big ask. You don't want to put him in that role. If he can earn it great. uh, But you don't want to put him in, in, in a a spot where you need him to do that, uh, especially on a team that, you know, is tracking toward being, you know, hopefully a cup contender for their sake in, in the next little while. So you're right. I mean, the thing with Nugent Hopkins is, you know, he makes $6 million. He was on a, a six-year contract that he signed coming out of entry level. And it was kind of a, um, they didn't have a lot at that time. They basically gave uh, Everly um, Hall and, and Nugent Hopkins kind of matching uh, $6 million deals. And it's only been up until the last, you know, couple of years where he's really started, I, I would say, to kind of earn that money. And, and uh, the, the production's kind of gone uh, measure it with with what he's been paid um this year has been a bit, bit of a drop off but you know if he can turn that around uh you know he could put himself in a, in a pretty decent spot uh for trying to you know get a relatively good contract now i i i don't think he's at a point given his production that he should be commanding any type of big raise mm. uh the oilers are in a spot where i mean you have mcdavid at the top dry saddle comes in at 8.5 you're not, he's not going to be getting anywhere close to what Leon Dreisaitl gets. So he should get right in what he's making now. Now, it, the, the only thing is, you know, if he hits the open market, what does another team think of him, right? Uh, you look at the free agent list. I mean, there's, there's some decent players. Obviously, Taylor Hall comes to mind. Gabriel Landeskog is, is a pretty decent forward. Kyle Palmieri. You know, there's some good players. Um, but I don't think the market is, is necessarily flooded with guys and granted we are in a, in a flat cap uh, scenario, but all it takes is for one or two teams to think, Hey, uh, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is in his late twenties. He's a good penalty killer. He's a good power play guy. Um, he's showing a different 
degrees of, of success at five on five. He's got versatility. Maybe we, we really like him. Maybe we'll offer an extra year than Edmonton will or, or whatever. It, obviously we don't know at, at this point what another team is thinking. So, you know, it, there's a lot of uh, angst, I think here uh, people really like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, but they recognize this is a player in his late twenties that you don't maybe want to give a whopping contract to in terms of, of value or, or term. Um, and the other complication, of course, is the, um, is the expansion draft. So, um, you know, the Oilers have, uh, from what I understand, they're, they're trending toward, at this point, going the eight-skater route. Uh, you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, uh, Yamamoto, and uh, Pugliarvi as your forwards. And then uh, Nurse and, and Bear are kind of your locks on defense. There's a, an injury um, uh, situation there with Oscar Kleppbaum missing the year, but he's got two more years on his deal. Uh, that they're hoping by July that uh, they have a little bit more of a clear understanding about his health when, and if, if he can ever play again. So you might want to expose them. And then uh, nurse and Barry uh, or sorry, uh, Larson and Barry are, are, are free agents. Um, and they've got some, some other guys in terms of Legacy and Jones that they might want to want to protect as well. But so in saying that, if you know, if you're going to protect Nugent Hopkins ahead of time, uh, then it kind of creates a little bit of a, uh, of an issue with then you probably want to go the seven and three route. Uh, the Oilers are at, at this point, you know, they don't really have two other forwards that are really worthy of protection in comparison with their defense. Um, so there's, there's that kind of complication here as well, that it's, you know, fans uh, that really like Nugent Hopkins and want to see him back would say, Hey, just get that contract done now. But then it does create some, um, some, some obstacles uh, and challenges for the team too. So um the closer it gets to the expansion draft is, is uh, you know, closer to free agency too. Right. So if you want to wait and have a, uh, uh, a deal ready to go after the expansion draft, well, if you're Nugent Hopkins, you're, you're probably thinking, Hey, I'm five days away from free agency or whatever. Why don't I just see what's out there? So there's a lot of, a lot of things going on there, but you're right. Uh, the, the grand scheme of things is if they could bring back Nugent Hopkins at the right type of deal, uh, for, for, you know, less than, than five years, uh, I would say, um, that would be very advantageous to the Oilers because again, they, they need him back or need somebody of his caliber back and then they need somebody else. So it's tough to get two of those guys getting one might, might, might be a lot less challenging. Yeah. It seems certain that if they're going to retain Ryan Nugent Hopkins, it'll probably have to come, you know, by the time he reaches free agency, because I don't think you're going to make that deal before and expose a guy like Pugliardi or someone on the defense core that you're not necessarily willing to do. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's a question in net for who the, the Oilers are going to protect, but in terms of standout seasons, I think Mike Smith might be the one overshooting expectations, expectations the most. Uh, frankly, I was flabbergasted that in a hot goaltending market, like we saw in the summer or the off season, at least where serviceable guys were moving around at low prices that Ken Holland, all he managed was to retain Mike Smith, but sure enough, he's delivered Vesna conversation numbers yeah. in the form that might be considered close to the anomaly season he had earlier in his career, about a decade ago, when looking at least at his total balance, how do you explain this incredible season so far from Mike Smith? Yeah. And, and to touch on the, the whole, um, Free agency period. I mean, their their number one choice is, is pretty well reported is, was Jake, uh, Jacob Markstrom, who, who ended up going mm-hmm. to Calgary. Uh, uh, oddly enough, um, so they they waited a day, and you know by that point there there wasn't a, a lot. I think maybe uh, they put kind of their eggs in the Markstrom basket, so to speak. I, I know there's a couple other guys they were interested in, um, but but for for Smith, I mean, I. Uh, it was a, a, a smaller deal than or like a less expensive deal than it was the previous one. I, I, I kind of understood it from, from that degree that at least they weren't spending a lot of money on, on a guy that they didn't know. Uh, when you look at Mike Smith's numbers last, last season, it was about a six week stretch where he was just terrible and the rest of the season wasn't too bad. So you have to put those six weeks into the, into the season when you, when you analyze his numbers and, analyze his performance but there was a lot to like in what he brought for the rest of the year um and he was really you know a pretty well respected guy in that uh in that dressing room so you know i again clearly he was not their first choice to bring back but i did understand how they ended up at that if that that decision if that makes any sense uh, but his season as you talked about uh, um 
has been unbelievable. Uh, you know, I don't know, completely unexpected, but, but very close to being completely unexpected. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as you, as you touched on, I mean, other than that year when he took the, um, the Coyotes to the conference final in, and I think it was 2012, um, he's not played anywhere close to this level. And he's had little spurts here and there, you know, the playoff series where, where the Flames lost uh, in five games a couple of years ago. He was probably their best player, but, you know, you, they still lost in a five-game series uh, and to an underdog team. Um, so, you know, in terms of his performance, I mean, he's, you know, he's a really fiery guy. I think anyone can, can see that. Uh, I, you know, the, the injury, he, he missed a good chunk of the year with, uh, with an injury there. Uh, allowing uh, Miko Koskinen to, to play a whole bunch of games, and and since he's come back, he's just been been lights out. Um, so yeah, it's a completely unexpected year. I mean, he's going to be in the running uh, for the the Vesna as a kind of an outside guy. You know, I don't think he'll be you know finalist by any means, but he'll be he'll be close. I think in terms of getting getting to that point. Uh, and for somebody at 39 to do this, he's he's having a, you know a, one of the best seasons for for a goaltender of his age ever. So. Um, I, I think he's worked a lot at, at, uh, kind of being, um, um, you know, positionally sound in the net and, and, and taking his game to, to, to another level here. Um, it, it just, it's, it's quite frankly, um, it's, it's kind of been, uh, Smith, uh, dry McDavid and then Darnell nurse. Those are the four guys that have, that have really carried this team. It's interesting you said positional because uh, Mike Smith is a very specific type of net miner, similar to maybe Jonathan Quick or Marc-Andre Fleury, where they are more instinctual, it seems, than positional. And those guys tend to be boom or bust a little bit. They can have these stretches of great play, but also stretches of poor play, maybe ones that last six weeks last season. It seems now Smith has caught that heater, but I guess if you're the pessimist or the glass half empty approach would be that maybe it leaves the team a little susceptible to the netminder just falling off the rails a little bit when it matters most. And if you're going to, you know, count on that, uh, that hot stretch to last the entire year, it may, it may happen that way, but maybe there's like the other shoe that's going to drop. And I think that might be the worry if you're uh, an Oilers fan, that's uh, a little bit concerned about, you know, Mike Smith's past and not being able to have those long stretches or years where he's strung together really good play. Yeah, even when you look at something like his puck handling, which people laud, and but then he has like a gaff every, you know, <laughs> every yeah. few games where you're just like, oh boy, like that is not what you need it right now, right? So, um, yeah, he's the type of goalie who he's he's a little bit more, I would say, erratic for lack of a better word in terms of performance than than some of the more consistent guys. But I think that's a case of where this league is right now. I mean, how many num- true number one type guys are there on your hand uh, that you can count on at five. I mean, there aren't very many. There's a lot of tandems. Um, yeah. Smith could come off the rails at the wrong time. He could c- continue to play as well as he has uh, for another few, few weeks or, or, or so too. So uh, that's what the Oilers uh, have to count on. And, 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 you know, they have a, a guy in Nico Koskinen who's, um, I think he gets a, a pretty bad rap here. Part of it is, I mean, the contract uh, for when he was signed and it was the day before Peter Shirelli lost his job. And in one of the more bizarre moves uh, that I've seen uh, with the type of track record he, he had at that point, given the three-year deal at 4.5 per, um, you know, so the contract's a bit of an issue, but he, you know, he's a guy that, that could come in and, and, you know, play as well as you would hope out of any type of backup goalie. So, you know, they don't have a, a Vasilevsky or Hellebuck or, you know, those, you know, types of, of, of goaltenders here uh, in terms of a guy that you put in every single game and you know, uh, you know, what you're getting. Um, but they have two guys that um, are, are competent and are, you know, especially the year Smith has had and you know, the numbers for Koskinen aren't, aren't too bad, especially um, since Smith came back into the lineup. He was overworked and overused. Uh, early in the year, uh, which was, uh, you know, the, the year that after he signed, which was 2018, 19, uh, he played like 33 of 35 games or something like that down the stretch and his numbers fell off a cliff. So when you work those guys in properly, um, they provide relatively decent goaltending. 
Um, but it is a concern for, for the Oilers because, you know, they aren't those true number one guys that you, that, you know, you can count on. Right. So um, the Oilers are in as decent a spot, I think, as any team going into the playoffs. But again, there's always question marks in that. Uh, you mentioned it with Darnell Nurse, the last of the very best performances or outstanding performances that belong to the Edmonton Oilers this season uh, is has been authored by Darnell Nurse. Um, does he have a legitimate case to win a Norris Trophy this year? And I wonder, had Oilers Nation sort of lost confidence that Nurse would win? This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. They achieved the level of dominance that he has this year. Oh yeah. I mean, he, uh, over, I haven't seen it much this year, yeah, given his, his play, but over the last you know couple of years, uh, I was like kind of an inability to or people, people's perception was he, he, he would really struggle with breakout passes. Uh, there were kind of the odd laps in the defensive zone in terms of coverage issues. Uh, and people would really get on him because, you know, he's one of their best defensemen and he, you know, he makes a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and this year you're seeing a lot less that he's really carried Tyson Berry, uh, to my, to my eye, uh, really helped Barry gain some, you know, confidence. And that's a really, a pair that, um, I know fans would really like to see another defenseman on just because, uh, Evan Bouchard, sorry. Well, Evan Bouchard uh, finally got in a game last night, but, uh, it's a player that they want to see more of instead of Barry or, uh, Ethan bear was a, a guy that played with, um, with nurse basically exclusively last season. Uh, and, um, uh, Tyson Berry's pretty much got, gotten that, uh, that role, say for the first month of the season. So, uh, nurse, you know, he's always been known as a good skater. I think he's improved on that even more. So this season where he's, uh, it's love to get around the defensive zone better. He's making better reads as a guy who really pours over video. And I think he's, he's, some of that is, you know, maturity. He's in his mid twenties. Now he's seen the league a bit more. He just played his 400th game. He, he, you know, he's starting to understand, I think a bit more of the defensive uh, side of things than anything else, but his skating and his, his reads uh, both in the defensive zone and, and joining the rush. You, you've seen that a lot. Uh, last night he scored, uh, you know, against Vancouver to close out the game on a two on one. He, he picks his spots very well in terms of jumping up in the rush. Now, you know, 15, I believe it is 15 strength, uh, even strength goals, 16 on the year. Um, you know, that's, uh, I think he's first or second in the league in terms of goals this year. I don't I think, think he's Jacob Trickers right up there. Yeah. One goal behind uh Chikrin right now. So that's Chikrin. Yeah. There you go. So yeah. And, and again, a lot of that, you know, all one of that has come on even strength because he, he, he is getting a little bit of, of power play time to sometimes spell, you know, Tyson Berry or give a little bit of from, um, but generally, generally speaking, doesn't get a ton of, of power play time. So a lot of that is, is coming at even strength and to score that much at even strength as a defenseman is, is unreal. I, I think he is third on the team in goal scoring. So um behind obviously obviously the the two guys you could probably guess so um he's having you know a great year in terms of the the norris i I, you know i it's hard for me to to say i I was off a little bit earlier in the year with uh, being on parental leave so i I wasn't watching the entire league as closely at that point uh but you know you look at some guys you know headman's obviously in the the conversation unfortunately eric aaron eckblad would would have been right there had he not gotten hurt Uh, adam fox i know was having you know a tremendous year um, guys, we don't see a lot of, uh, here in, um, in Canada, given, especially given the whole nature of, of the divisional play this year. Uh, I would say he's been the best defenseman in, in Canada this year. Uh, Jeff Petrie, I know is right there. 
so that he's got a legitimate argument to to dispute what I just said. Um, but can he get in? I would say he probably won't be a finalist if if I'm kind of reading the tea leaves correctly. Um, but he should be kind of in you know kind of a top ten guy, maybe even pushing toward top five. Um, and and I think that's a, a real feather in his cap because. Um, he's been, uh, you know, an absolute beast for this year, uh, for this team this year, rather. Um, and especially with the, the loss of Klepom this year, um, that's really when his, the best of his game has, has come out. That happened a couple of years ago in 2018, 19 Klepom missed a whack of time with, with a broken hand and he came in to quarterback the first unit and, and, and played a lot. Uh, you know, there were a lot of games at that point where they were down a couple of guys, um, and he was playing upwards of 30 minutes a night. And, and he's done that at times this year he's had, because of the, the defense, the defensive depth getting stronger here. He hasn't had to, to do it to the same degree as he did a couple of years ago, but he's, he's been a very key, reliable defenseman for this team this year at both ends of the ice. And that's basically all they can, they can ask for, for a guy like him. Uh, finishing top 10 in Norris voting would be a considerable achievement for him. I mean, I don't think we've ever thought of him in that, in that light, but his greatest achievement might've been turning Tyson Berry into an effective five on five player, which you alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, It seems like this has been a good landing spot for Tyson Berry who had interest in obviously recouping his value. He's helped a power play that hasn't been the same, but still dominant. Um, But you mentioned that, you know, maybe the partnership might not continue because of Evan Bouchard or Oscar Kleffbaum potentially coming back. And maybe that there isn't an appetite uh, among the Oilers fan base for him to come back, given that he is a bit of a one dimensional player, but one that has, you know, that one dimension has been pretty useful this year. Um, But is it because Bouchard's ready that Barry might not come back or do you expect Barry to come back and continue running that power play next year? I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, out of the question that he returns, but I, I think I would put it at pretty unlikely. Uh, and, and as you allude to, I think a lot of that is because of Evan Bouchard. Now, do we know if he's ready? No, because he's, that was his first game last night since March 1st. He, he missed more than two months where he, you know, was just taking part in practices, working on his skating with, with skating coach, David Pelche here. Um, th- those types of things. So we, we don't, we can't say unequivocally that Evan Bouchard is ready, but he's tracking that way, you know, first round pick, uh, top, top 10 first round pick in, in 2018. Uh, he's got, you know, the uh, full season in the AHL under his belt. He's some time in Europe just to start this year. He's a guy that I would certainly bank on, especially given the value in a, uh, the contract rather in a flat cap world. I would bank on him <clears throat> ahead of Tyson Berry, you know, given the age and what Berry could command. Uh, as a UFA now uh, he's a you know very tough guy to uh, to uh, kind of ballpark what he'll make in, in this uh, economy in the NHL uh, given his uh, you know as you as you call it a one-dimensional skill set and, and how teams kind of uh, will value that right but he's at 3.75 I believe this year um, I, I would expect he would want more than a one-year deal this go around uh, the value is, is hard to peg. I know he was doing really well earlier and some people were talking in the 5 million range that combined with Bouchard's, uh, potential emergence here and, and his value as a, as a young defenseman, as a young prospect, uh, and the potential return for Oscar Kleffbaum who can run that power play. I think to, if not as good a degree as Tyson Berry, perhaps a better one, because, he distributes the puck in a way, uh, you know, people really get on or got on Clapham for, for not shooting or that the Oilers were lacking something by not having a shooter at the top of the power play, which Barry has, has brought in as, as at times been effective. But Clefbaum is a low maintenance uh, dis- distributor of the puck who gets it in the hands of McDavid and Dreisaitl, which is quite frankly, you'd rather have it in those guys' hands, right? So. Yeah. I think he's, I always thought of him, uh, Clefbaum being the perfect guy to run that power play because he just dishes it off to those guys and is very low maintenance. Not to say anything Tyson Berry has, has done has necessarily been bad or hasn't worked, but I think I, my point is that I think, you know, Clefbaum could come in and, and, and return uh, and, and do just as well. And, and the numbers point that out from last year. So I don't think you want to get him locked in to a, to a long-term or expensive contract just with all those things, you know, potential for Clapham to come back, 
the emergence uh, of Barry and in a flat cap environment. So as well as it's worked out in, in some areas of the ice for, for Barry this year, power play, uh, you know, quarterback being the, the most uh, primary, there's not the ideal fit here, I don't think. And, and Nurse has helped a lot. But when you're looking at last minutes of periods and, and penalty kill and, and, and those types of things, he's not on the ice with Darnell Nurse. It's Ethan Barrett coming in. So that, that really points to where they um, see and, and how they rely on, on, um, on Tyson Berry. And, it, you know, you don't really want, uh, in my opinion, a guy that can only play, you know, one, one side of the ice on a long-term deal. Even look at it last night. Adam Larson was in the box, and they had they had uh, Evan Bouchard as their penalty killer, not as their fourth penalty killer, not not Tyson Berry. Um, you know, some of that is you know we're playing we're late in the year, and the, the Oilers are playing the Canucks, and they've already clinched a playoff spot and well, whatever, right? But they don't value him as as a penalty killer at all. He's uh, so it's a very tough spot to to put the team in to to val- to give a, a, a you know a full um, you know, a, a big contract to a guy that, that only plays one way. Well, if you follow the trail of superstars, you might be able to predict where Tyson Berry lands next from Nathan McKinnon to Austin Matthews and now Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. He's had some uh, pretty good company in recent years. Uh, last player I want to get into in terms of breakout performances or really outstanding performances. I don't know if he hits this threshold, but yes, Puliarvi has been a very good story in Oilers land. Uh, this year, most people wrote him off as a bust returning from, I guess it was Finland. He went back to, uh, he came back this season and he earned a top line spot with Connor McDavid and Lisa, Leon Dreisaitl, which is basically hitting the hockey lottery. Um, <laughs> but in terms of surprising events from this season, is his return and emergence as a top six forward, a legitimate top six forward at the top of that list? It's got to be right up there. And uh, I would say I was probably close to being, if not in that camp of, of- Nothing he was a bust, but just that they don't really have anything here. And and they're, I mean, he, uh, the thought was that he was going to be traded. Uh, obviously, he didn't, you know, he, he demanded a trade. He went back to Finland. Um, but Ken Holland, uh, you know, did, wasn't going to sell low on him. He made that perfectly clear. He was willing to wait him out if, if he didn't get the right offer. And, of course, that offer clearly didn't come because, you know, a team, it would have been tough for a team to really bank on a guy that hadn't done much in the NHL through – uh, through three full years and uh, uh, wasn't looking like anywhere close to the player that he, when he was drafted fourth overall in, in 2016, just a few spots behind um, behind Austin Matthews. So, um, you know, the, the intention for the team was to bring him back and have him, um, you know, put him in a spot where he, he could succeed. And they had him on the third line to start the year and it lasted only six games. Uh, um, he was with, um, predominantly with with um, uh, Kyle Turris who um, hasn't worked out here at all I mean he's he just got into a game the other night he's he's been relatively speaking uh, on the taxi squad or, or mostly on the taxi squad so um, but they just saw a player that could be you know a, a top six guy and they had him up there with McDavid and and um, and uh, Ryan Nugent for quite a while now with with dry side instead and Hopkins there on the left side and you're right I mean he's kind of hit the hockey line lottery and uh, we touched on this at the start of their converse on the start of the conversation just the numbers aren't aren't necessarily through the roof um but the coaching staff and, and his teammates really value how much better he is getting to you know the front of the net um staying in plays longer um using his body and his stick to to get into battles that he wouldn't have been a part of um a couple of years ago before he left um, so I think, you know, when you're playing with those two guys, you're clearly the third guy on the line. You're the guy who's supposed to forecheck, who's supposed to dig out pucks uh, to be the, you know, the third wheel per se on that line. And he, he fits that mold really well. Now, maybe in a couple of years or next year or somewhere down the line here, he can kind of fit into more of a scoring role as he rounds out that part of his game, gets a little older, understands the league. But this is a kind of a, a perfect spot for for him right now. And uh, you'd like to see a little bit more offense from him. And, and again, that, I think that'll come in the, in the, in the time uh, to, to come here. Uh, but, you know, for him to come in and uh, at that contract value, just over a million dollars and fit in on top six, uh, you know, in, a, in this kind of environment uh, on a team that was kind of strapped for, for cash in the off season, 
uh, is a huge, huge win for this team uh, and allows them maybe to pencil him in along with Kyler Yamamoto, two guys not making a ton of money in the next little while with the big guns and then try to fill out the rest of the top six uh, via free agency likely or maybe even a trade uh, to really kind of expand and, and diversify the, the lineup and the, the offensive weapons that this team has. Uh, last one for you on what has happened before we look at what could happen down the stretch. Um, was Zach Cassian's injury a blessing in disguise a little bit? It seems like the Oilers have been at their best when he wasn't a top six option uh, due to injury. Yeah. You know what? Um, Ken Holland has made a lot of good moves uh, with the Oilers. I mean, some of them have been pretty, you know, small and, and low risk moves, but the one I think, clear error he has made so far is signing Zach Cassie into that contract. Uh, in fairness, it was signed before the pandemic hit uh, when it looked like the salary cap was going to go up, uh, you know, actually a few million dollars. Uh, yeah. And of course that is not the case and it won't be the case for the next little while. But the issue I always had with that contract was that Zach Cassian, he doesn't play any special teams and he was playing with McDavid at five on five and having some success there, but it was always uh, in spurts. And when they take him off that line, he's uh, playing bottom six minutes and playing in that 12 minute a night range with no special teams. And if he's not bringing it from a, you know, a physical standpoint, you just don't even notice him out there. So now they have three more years of that contract. Uh, a guy making, I think it's $3.2 million dollars. That's a tough one. And um, it'll be interesting. He is eligible to return off LTIR uh, the last regular season game. We haven't heard much from him and that's something the others are off today. It's something we'll probably check up uh, on in the next little while. Um, but if he's eligible to return for the playoffs, that's where people around here see him as a, a valuable part of, you know, their last playoff run in 2017, he was creating a lot of havoc, especially in that series against the sharks uh, you know, that was four years ago and, um, uh, you know, it, it's tough to really just say, Oh, we, we signed a guy for $3.2 million to maybe have a couple good games in the playoffs. I mean, that's where a lot of guys make their money, but you know, he's really been, he's had a very challenging year. He didn't start out well. Um, he was kind of called out a bit by his coach immediately got a, got in a fight and broke his hand was out. And then played a bit and just had kind of a, a kind of a bizarre lower body injury here in a seemingly innocuous, innocuous check against uh, Shea Weber. But I was looking at that lineup and I, you know, with everyone healthy, I'm not really sure where he, he where he slots in ideally. Um, you know, the way the Oilers are constructed, you kind of want guys in the bottom six, and it's the case for a lot of teams, but you kind of want guys in the bottom six to play on special teams, kill penalties. Um, they have kind of a specialty line or, or at, at times they do with um, – with, with Alex Chase on James Neal on it. Well, those guys play sometime on the power play. So they're, they're getting extra minutes. Uh, they're doing different things. Cassian doesn't do that. So um, I think, I don't think we've seen the end of him this year, but it, you know, it's kind of hard to see the perfect spot for him in this lineup. And, and uh, as you kind of allude to, and I, I, I agree, I think this, this team is, is probably best constructed a lot of nights when Zach Cassian isn't playing. Okay, let's spin this forward to the playoffs where Zach Cassian may or may not have an influence, but the Oilers will play either the Jets or the Habs in the first round. We know that for certain. Uh, well, I guess not completely for certain, but Calgary's not going to make it in and Vancouver certainly is not either. So Jets or Habs. The, uh, the Oilers have had their issues with Montreal and the Jets present serious problems themselves with a really good forward group and a great goaltender in net and Connor Hellebuck. Um, if you had to choose between those options, if Oilers fans had to choose between those options, if the team had to choose between those two options, what do you think would be considered preferred? I think everyone would pick the Jets. Uh, they were, they're seven and two against the Jets this year, season in the season series. As I mentioned, McDavid went just <laughs> wild against them with 22 points in the nine games. Um, theoretically the Jets should have more depth and balance up front, uh, with their top nine. But the issue has been that McDavid has just feasted on Mark Shifley this season, outscoring him 10 to 2. Uh, the, the lines that is when those two have been on the ice at five on five. 
Uh, and so with the amount that McDavid plays and Dreisaitl at even strength, um, you know, you don't want Adam Lowry playing against them that much. You, you got to get Mifley, who plays a lot uh, at even strength, um, uh, the minutes against him. And if, if McDavid's going to continue to pick apart Mike, Mark Scheifele and uh, uh, when he's on the ice, so that's a huge concern. Um, Mike Smith has been able to hold hold well against uh, Connor Hellebuck, which again, as we kind of touched on earlier, you wouldn't have predicted that. And I like the Oilers defense a lot more than I like the Jets defense. Um, so the kind of all of that context, plus the, the fact that they've done so well against the Jets, I think is, is really in their favor. Montreal has played the Oilers pretty physically, which, you know, the Oilers are, are pretty small, uh, you know, up front, save for, you know, a few guys. I mean, you look at that top line right now with uh, McDavid, uh, Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi, they're all pretty big guys, but we talked about that second line with Yamamoto, uh, Cahoon and, and uh, Nugent Hopkins are a bit smaller. Um, um, you know, you go down the list and there's not a, maybe that's uh, again, uh, we touched on Zach Gassi, maybe that's where he fits in a, in a series like that. But, um, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances in the head to head meetings against the Habs. Uh, a couple were early in the year when the Oilers weren't playing well. Uh, one was after the Canadians, um, a COVID uh, situation there where they had the, had a bit of a break and the Oilers had a game just tacked on at the end of the road trip. And, um, you know, they've said, especially Dave Tippett, that he kind of knew that was going to be lost. He, he said that the team got off the plane and was kind of like, where the heck are we? And for, for a team to admit that, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I would maybe give them a bit of a pass in a game like that. So there have been some extenuating circumstances. I think they can uh, play better than they have against the Canadians, but there's no question uh, the way things have gone this. And I think the way the teams match up as well, the Oilers would be better off playing, playing the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, it seems with the Jets' defense core that the uh, likelihood of McDavid and Drysaddle running wild uh, in a postseason series would be—it would certainly be more likely that it would happen against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and running wild with those two seems like it's going to be the key to any long postseason run for the Oilers. I think that's going to obviously be on the back of McDavid and Dreisaitl. So aside from them going nuclear in the postseason, what needs to happen for the Oilers to be the last team standing uh, in the North Division? Well, they need some some depth guys to, to kind of pick it up and to uh, to chip in, I think, a little bit more. It would be very interesting to see where Ryan McLeod fits in. Um, he's played, I think, five or six games now as a, a call-up from... Um, from the AHL, a 2018 second round pick and has shown a lot in terms of speed and, and whatnot. He hasn't produced offensively yet, um, but he's brought a little bit of a different dynamic there. It's kind of, uh, I think, uh, asking a lot of a player at 21 years old to, to come in and, and uh, be asked to contribute offensively in the playoffs. But there are some guys, I mean, um, being, uh, you know, Tyler Ennis has not played much this year. He's a, you know, a depth guy that if given the opportunity, I think he could chip in um, the defense, I think needs to kind of continue rounding out in the form and, and they don't, they seem to have their pairings. I think they have, I would say they have a top seven right now um, coming in and providing kind of a shutdown pair with, with Larson. There's still some kinks to be worked out there because they haven't had much time together, but those two, I think will be really, really valuable. And, and of course, as we touched on uh, it, it's the Mike Smith show in net. So can he keep that up? I mean, goaltending is, is so important in a, in a playoffs. I mean, that's, I'm not breaking any news there. And uh, I, I think Smith needs to have a good playoff and a much better one than he did last year. He didn't get much time last year because he, he had kind of a bad game one and then they went to, to, to Nico Koskinen. Um, but goaltending is, is obviously so key and, 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 and Smith, I think, is is the uh, um, kind of the the X factor. The only other two guys I would point to, and, and one guy I, t- I thought would be so key last year and, and fell flat, was uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who had just one point in the in the four games against um, Chicago. Um, numbers have been down this year. This is a chance for him to really change the the course of of um, of his uh, season. And of course, Yessi Pooley RV, who. There, if, if he's on the right line and continues this trajectory, it could be a kind of a breakout, uh, breakout postseason for him. So uh, that would certainly just just really give his career a shot in the arm. I think, you, despite the the good year he's had, if he could do that in the playoffs, that would be a, a tremendous uh, a tremendous uh, kind of coup for him and the team. 
Last one for you. I think we have an idea of what Ken Holland's priorities might be this summer as he looks to try and pry the championship open or championship window open a little bit. But let's say Connor McDavid was able to establish or set the priorities for the Edmonton Oilers this offseason. What do you think he wants management to do? It's a good question. I've never, I've actually never thought of it in that, that, that way before, but I, I, I still think, I mean, he, he needs a winger. Um, if it's, if ideally the, the construction of this team has dry sidle as a number two center, maybe, maybe that's not the case, but I think that's, that's probably the way that they envision things with, with dry sidle being a centerman. Um, they have again, Puli RV Yamamoto. And if they can retain Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, like that's a big if, but if they can, they still need a number one center or a number one or, you know, top two left winger, ideally um, with due respect to Dominic Cahoon, he, he's not that guy. Um, and, and if they could find the right guy with McDavid, I, that would really just give them two solid lines that they can, they can, you know, go with and, and give teams just absolute headaches right now. They have kind of one and a half or one, one good one and one kind of secondary one, if depending on how things line up. So that I think is the biggest key. The defense is the defense is really interesting because I, I think they're probably going to lose a defense to, to Seattle uh, in the expansion draft. Um, just kind of looking at, at the roster here beside me. Um, but and it kind of depends. I don't think you want to count on Evan Bouchard as being a top four defenseman next year. I think they could probably use a top, another top four defenseman. Uh, that would certainly help. I mean, any team would probably like to add another top four defenseman, but, um, and then in net you have Smith who's 39 and on an expiring contract. So those are the, the biggest priorities. I think uh, the number three center was an issue that I think was, was pretty um, evident this year, but the emergence of Ryan McLeod and potentially Dylan Holloway coming in, those are spots that you, I think Holloway can play center or the wing. I think those are spots that you might want to count on, on a guy like that playing in a depth role rather than in a top six. So they might be okay uh, for, for trying to uh, not go shopping in that, in that spot. So, yeah, I think that the major priority for this team is to get a top, like a top two winger, ideally on the left side, uh, and then see if it, how things maybe shake out on the defense, maybe add another guy there and, and round out goaltending. But that would be the priority for me. If, if, and if I'm Connor McDavid, I'm going into Ken Holland's office saying, get me a left winger that I can uh, dish the puck to. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if that's, uh, that would be the priority for him. Uh, all, all casuals have wanted as meaningful games from Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Can't say they felt meaningful lately. As I mentioned, bit of an interest <laughs> squad skills focused type of feel against the Vancouver Canucks, but I have a feeling we're going to see plenty of meaningful games for this team uh, over the next month and perhaps into next month. And I look forward to covering or watching your coverage play out. Uh, Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on there. You're very welcome, Justin. I, uh, it's great coming on with you. Cheers, man. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 